So we continue our sermon series. We're not going to do it again. We continue our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. Again, a 10,000-foot view, looking at uh, Jesus as simply irresistible, the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, writing to a Jewish-Greek audience, right, that uh, kind of a deeper understanding of faith, people that have been in the faith for a while, uh, making sure they're keeping the main things the main things, putting Jesus as the highest, the best, the greatest, simply irresistible. We talked, I know you all remember the very first sermon of this a month ago, uh, that we talked about what are things that are irresistible in life, right? And, and we didn't come up with a lot of serious answers, you know, maybe you feel your spouse is at times, uh, maybe your, your, your family or what you do for a, for, for a living, but there really isn't anything like irresistible that we, for all intents and purposes, have the ability to resist things, right? Whether it's food or, I don't know, a sports team or whatever in life, maybe it's you know, maybe it's even that ego or that pride of wanting to be wanted or needed. We can resist a lot in our life. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand is you don't need to do that with Jesus. You don't want to do that with Jesus. You shouldn't do that with Jesus. That what is the point of resisting the greatest thing ever, period, in the world ever, period? It is the best. And last week we talked about that Jesus is the better covenant. We walked a little bit through the covenants of the Old Testament that Jesus not only fulfills those covenants, but he is the better covenant. We're going to stay there a little bit. We're going to do an overview of 9 and 10 because 9 and 10 are really kind of a review. Okay, There's, there's a review in 9, there's a review in 10, there's a little content there that's new. We're going to touch a little bit of that, but we're going to talk about and finish up this conversation around covenant. Now, it does get brought up one more time, but in a different way. And it's about those who kept covenant. And again, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But this understanding of covenant, who remembers from last week what makes a covenant different than a contract, right? So we have a contract mentality in life that, you know, uh, I look out at Colin. You know, Colin, I'm going to mow your lawn, right? And you're going to give me 20 bucks. That's very Dutch of you. Uh, and understand that because you have a big yard, that's junk. But, you know, uh, if I enter into contract with him, I mow his lawn, he gives me, still sticking there, okay, even if I do a good job, he's still going to give me 20 bucks. Um, I'll pray for Weston. And understand that, Weston's his son, by the way, and that if I don't do it, he's not going to give me it. That's the contract. The covenant, right, is different. A covenant says, and it's really odd to put a covenant on mowing the lawn, uh, because it's almost like a waste of the word, but the covenant says, I'm going to still do my end, even if you don't do yours. Ultimately showing and pointing to the covenant we have with God, because while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. I've already used that today, but that shows the covenant. The covenant should be, I am holy, you should be holy, we should be holy together. But God knows we can't do that. God knows that we mess up. God knows that we do all of the things we are not supposed to do, right? Paul says that in one of his epistles. The things that I don't do, or I shouldn't do, I do all the time. And the things I know I should do, I never do. That's us. So God knew we were never going to be able to meet the atoning sacrifice that Jesus was going to be for us. 
That's why Jesus went to the cross for you and for me, not the other way around. You didn't go to the cross for Jesus. I didn't go to the cross for Jesus. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And therein lies the main detail of covenant. A covenant requires sacrifice. Because if you use kind of my dumb uh, uh, lawn mowing analogy, it takes sacrifice for Colin to pay me $20 even if I don't cut his lawn. There's sacrifice there, right? He's sacrificing a lot in himself. He's sacrificing uh, reason, right? He didn't do anything for me, yet I'm still giving him the $20. Again, I understand the, the example somewhat falls in on itself because it's not very good. But understand, that's exactly what covenant means. They, or that, that's the, the, the foundation of covenant is sacrifice. A sacrifice was required. Biblically, a sacrifice required the shedding of blood. I know that's a weird thing to kind of start off. Maybe this is the first time you're in church and now the pastor said the word blood at least three times. But it is. It's by the blood of Jesus we are saved that the sacrifice required blood. Because blood speaks of a life laid down. Now, do I think that Colin's going to lay down his life for me not cutting his lawn? No. Nor should he. But understand that the ultimate sacrifice for sin so that sin would be forgiven and heaven now will be filled with those in Christ who not only recognize the sacrifice but believe in God as Lord and Savior to try to live our best life his way, not ours. That is the sacrifice. Have ever thought of that? Your sacrifice to become a believer is that you don't get to live life your way. Let that sit for a minute. Because I know, each and every one of you, and some of you I've never met, because I'm looking at your face and you're brand new. That's awesome. I want to meet you after service. We all have an idea of how we should live our life. Right? I always say that, you know, that, that, that I am the head of the house, but care is the runner of the home. And, and that relationship is an intertwined relationship of our marriage relationship. Maybe that's how yours is, maybe that's not. And understand that we all have our roles. But, yeah, there are going to be times, right, that we're going to get ready to go out. It just happened a couple weeks ago where all of a sudden we're both getting dressed and I'm ready to go. She walks out, looks me over once, and not in an appreciation kind of way, and says, nope. And I had to go change. I'm a man, right? I've been dressing myself for years. Yet my wife can look at me and go, nope. And what happened? I changed. I did. Why? Because I weighed the options. I could not change, and we could just start our night with tension. And does that resolve well? No. Or I could submit and change. So what did I do? I changed and went way the other way to get another no. We were late because I was being idiotic, and that was my choice. Now, none of you are shocked, but understand that we, there are times that we have to submit. We have to understand that there is a better plan, there is a better way of doing things. And in that small example, God's way of dressing us and telling us how to live our lives is a better way. 
but I look at all of you, and some of you just went like this. You just clenched, because you do not like being told what to do. Now, I'm not going to ask who in your marriage or your relationships likes to be told what to do more than others, because I don't want to start fights, because then you have to reconcile before you come to the table next week. But understand, we don't like that, because we want to make our own decisions. We live in a world that is your way right away. Thank you, Burger King. Right? You have all of these things telling you, no, the way you're doing is just fine. Live your truth. Yet, a lot of those times it denies what God is saying. And God gets the final say. He is the be-all and the end-all. He is the one that required the sacrifice, gave the sacrifice, so that you and I could have relationship with him. All right, let's start the sermon. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to do a couple uh, verses in 9, and then we are going to jump to chapter 10. Again, this is a little bit more of an overview, and then we're going to get into really the bread and butter of the second half of this letter. And this is setting up. Therefore, not even the first sacrifice was inaugurated without blood. Going into the old covenant, the old sacrificial system, that on the day of presence... Two, you know, one lamb would be slaughtered and the other lamb would have the blood of that on it and it would be sent out, taking the sins out of the camp, right? That's kind of the visualization of what that was. That there was, there was sacrifice when it came to the covenant, how they walked it out. You go throughout the entire book of Leviticus, the, the kind of Levitical code, the holy code of living. Now, some people quote that when it suits them, this Christ has fulfilled it. Again, he does not abolish it, he fulfills it, that in Christ there's a new lens in how you do that, but that's a sermon series in Leviticus that, guess what, I've never written. And so uh, I don't know if we're going to do it, but we may in 10 years. And so understand that basically this was the kind of thesis of the sacrificial system. The covenant was made, it could not be made without the blood, that blood had to be a part of it. Go to verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. So this is starting to talk about the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, and Raiders of the Lost Ark with Indiana Jones only got it half right. We can see in chapter 9 what all would be in there, right? You got Aaron's staff, you got the tablets, you got manna, all of those things. Notice how they didn't leave quail in there for forever because that would have been gross. And so understand that these were representations. The Ark of the Covenant is a representation of God's relationship with his people. That's why it was holy. God said, I called you out, I made you a people, and I'm putting the representation, because he knew we'd be visual, here, keep it holy, because he knew, and this may make people uncomfortable, he knew we were prone to worship, yet we were prone to wander. And so what does that mean when you mix it together? That there are times we wander and worship things we shouldn't. So he said, my presence will be with you always. Well, that sounds like Jesus in the New Testament, the fulfillment that no longer do we need to carry the Ark of the Covenant. No longer do we need to have the holiest of holies. It, those have been torn apart. Those have been set in itself as Christ. And this is how he's fulfilling the, cover, the covenant. But what is the Hebrews is going back to is knowing that Jesus is greater, right? We've talked about that every week. Jesus is greater than this. Jesus is greater than this. Jesus is not only great, the greatest covenant, Jesus is the greater temple. 
that he is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, when he was talking about that the temple would be, uh, would be destroyed and in three days he'd build it up. Notice no brick and mortar was broken. Just the curtain that we now have relationship with the Father. We have relationship because of the Son, because of Christ, that Jesus is the better temple. And yet, in 2023 and over the last 75 years, we have put a lot of efforts. We have put a lot of uh, specific things, we put a lot of hope and joy in the idea of building. And I know it's a little weird to bring this up, No, we're going to talk about it a little bit at the family meeting, you know, but it, it, we, did, we don't have this mentality, or at least churches shouldn't, because the last 30 years it doesn't work. If you build it, they will come. What movie was that from? Field of Dreams. It's about cornfield in Iowa. I don't know, that's not all that exciting to me. Right On the list of date nights and the list of things that I'm going to do with my boys, I doubt I'm going to say, oh, let's just test it out. Guys, we're going to go see the Field of Dreams next year uh, in the cornfields of Iowa. Okay, that backfired. He wants to go. Okay, I thought he'd just say fire again. But uh, understand that that's, I mean, this, this mentality, if you build it, they will come. Guys, that is not biblical. If you stand on my word... I will draw all men to you is what the Bible says. Not if you build the greatest buildings. No. Though people may appreciate new buildings, and sometimes having new is good. It shows, it shows effort. It shows vision. It shows all of those things. The mentality isn't if you build it, they will come. It's if you stand on my word, I will draw all people to you. Because Christ is the greater temple. I don't think any of us would debate this, but Christ is better than this sanctuary. Christ is better than the Community Life Center. Yet we do this, we have these buildings, so people can encounter Christ. We know that he's out there everywhere. He's omnipotent, he's sovereign, he's omnipresent. Not only is he alive and well in the sanctuary here, but he's alive and well uh, with Elaine Van Allman when she's driving in her car, Right? He's, he's alive and well in the Ohm's home, right? He's alive and well when Jeff hunts whatever Jeff hunts, right? He's alive and well there. That he's all in us. That if he's the greatest temple, he gives us the Holy Spirit and tells us we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means we are greater. If Christ is greater, we are greater. So what are we doing with that responsibility, what are you doing at being the better temple of the Lord? That's rough. Some of you are like, don't put that on me. I didn't. Jesus did. What if you are the only church someone on your street ever experiences? In your job, the cubicle next to you, right? That cousin that you really can't stand. What if you are the temple of the Holy Spirit that, what if you're the only one they're going to encounter? That should inform the way we live our life and inform what that actually means. Let's jump to verse 23 to 26. Thus, it is necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, 
now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy places every year with blood not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all to end uh, to the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Every year, every year the high priest had to go in and sacrifice. Jesus did it once and said, it is finished. That is exactly what it is finished means. That is what the writer of Hebrews is alluding to. When Christ died on the cross, this covenant relationship of what we had to do is done, over. We don't have to go back to it. Now through Christ, we get to do these things. Talked about that last week. That we get to live lives of grace and love and community we get to not live lives of oppression and racism and just injustice. That we get to live out these things. And it's not, it's not like the first time you let your, your son or daughter go when they're trying to ride a bike because you ultimately know they're going to run into a tree, right? It's, it's not, he's not taking a chance on this. He's not going, Ooh, I hope they get it. No. He establishes this new covenant. He establishes who he is and why he is our Savior and our Lord. And he's saying, and now go from me and make disciples. All authority on heaven and earth, God to Jesus to you. It didn't pass through anything else. It didn't filter out uh, the kind of education you grew up in or the church you were a part of or how many trunks you've done in your life for trunk or treat. It doesn't pass through any of that. God to Jesus to us. That authority has now been given to us. And we get to be the temples of the Lord. That's a high calling. Absolutely it's a high calling. It should be. What if it was just like, meh. Hey, you get to be the temple of the Lord when you like to, when you want to, on Sunday mornings. Friends, it's easy to be the temple of the Lord in the temple of the Lord, but what is it like after Sundays? What is it like when you're in the hotel room by yourself on a business trip? When you're interacting with your spouse and your kids? If someone were to look at your marriage and go, here's the temple of the Lord. The way you discipline your, your kids, oh yeah. They're following something greater than themselves. The way you work your jobs. The way I mow your lawn. All those things. Do people see Christ? Because friends, that's the goal. And are you going to do it perfectly? No! We're going to fall. We're going to need his mercies. Thank God they're new every morning. Because I need them. You need them. The church needs them. Because we're not going to do everything right. But that's why we weren't the sacrifice. You are sinful. I am sinful. We couldn't be the sacrifice. A sinless person needed to be that. And that was Jesus. Once and for all. Now let's jump into chapter 10. So it's a significant chapter, chapter 10 in Hebrews. Because it's really the bridge of what we've talked about to what is. And it really just kind of repeats a lot of chapter 9, so we're not going to read a lot of chapter 10, but it starts off like this. 
For since the law has been but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Remember the draw near part. Otherwise, they would not, they, they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The reason why they had to do it every year is because they were sinners. It's really easy. One plus one equals two. They're sinners. They need to be atoned. Their sins need to be atoned for. They can't do it, so they offer the sacrifices. Jump to 2023. Right? We are sinners. We can't die to ourselves and make it all go away. We can't be the atoning sacrifices. Jesus was. But now we have the thing called grace. Forgiveness. Reconciliation. Colossians said that Jesus has taken all of this and reconciled it to the cross. That the work for you has been done. So you don't have to harbor those negative feelings. You don't have to seek your pound of flesh. You don't have to look back to your childhood and go, I was hurt then, I will continue to be hurt now, and I will be hurt next year. You can let that stuff go. The things that are going on in your life now, the hurts, the pains, the addictions, you can let that go. It does not define you. That if, if you are in Christ, Christ defines you. Christ always will show you how to dress. And there are going to be some times he's going to look at the way you're living your life and he's going to go, nope. And then you're going to try to recalibrate, right? You're going to try, don't make the same mistake I did. Don't try to overswing because then Jesus is just going to go, no. Because he's the one that gets to call the shots. He's the one that it did the work. And I know that's hard. We have a lot of type A personalities in this room. Hi, Pot. This is Kettle. You're black. It's for me. I get it. But even the most type A cannot do this themselves. Even the most extroverted, even the most domineering, even the most steamroller mentality, even the most independent entrepreneurial, even the most trainer, leader, whatever... We all bow down to Christ because we have to be okay with the fact that he knows the best dress for you. He can say, wear me. I will do it. Colossians, the word enduyo, put on then in chapter three is literally the Greek word for putting on a coat. Put on Christ because he represents all that has been fulfilled once and for all. So what do we do with this? We're going to turn next week, and it's going to get fairly practical in a lot of this. But notice, you can't walk it out. You can't live it out if you don't know what it is you're living for. What is keeping you on that straight and narrow, if you will. It's remembering when you were wayward. And maybe that was just this past week. But Christ is the one that brings you back. That's why it's important to come to worship, to hear God's word, to, to take it and to mediate on it, consume it, and let it come out of you. 
Because hopefully you come off nice. Because it's really hard to live the life of a believer as a jerk. It really is. It re it's really hard to live the life of a believer as someone who lies or, or has double speak or isn't trustworthy or breaks confidence. Or all. It's really hard to live the life of a believer like that. We say in the elders all the time, the best elder is the elder that can keep confidence. Because if you're known as just a gossip, you're going to make a terrible elder. And you probably shouldn't be an elder then. Because breaking confidence is hurting people. And elders are the overseer of people. Pastors, same thing. But even you, without any kind of title, are you trustworthy? Are you loyal? Are you helpful? I learned it in Boy Scouts, right? A scout is trustworthy. And I said scouts, not cadets. Don't throw stones. It's all right. A, a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, and reverent. They pulled that from the scriptures back when they had that instilled in there. And that's a great way to live life. That's a Christ way of living. But knowing that the sacrifice is once and for all, what is keeping you from living that way? What more, huh? what more do you need? And I say that to me first. What more does Jesus have to show you to show that he's the greatest? He is simply irresistible. It's exactly what the writer of Hebrews wants you to wrestle with. And he's going to make a lot more sense of it in the Psalms. Because then he quotes Psalm 40. Psalm 40 says this, In sacrifice and offering you have been delighted. You have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written, to, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is written in my heart. I have told the good news of deliverance in the great congregation. That is the world. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love, your faithfulness from the great congregation. Leave that up. All right, this might hurt a little bit. But for some of us in the room, we're really bad at evangelism. Our definition of evangelism is, I'm going to tell people that already know about Jesus about Jesus. That's not, that's not evangelism. That absolutely is not evangelism. That's discipleship, right? That's Christian fellowship, and that's great. Evangelism is telling people that don't know Jesus about Jesus. That is a working definition. We're not going to debate all the nuances of it. But understand, one of the best ways to evangelize is exactly what this psalm is talking about. And doing, really doing the opposite of that, right? For I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. You have been redeemed. It is the greatest story of your life. I look out, and we have some very successful people. Have, have run very successful businesses. Have, 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 have amazing talents. Have amazing gifts. You all, amazing gifts for the church. Right? That's not your greatest story. It's because of the sacrifice and deliverance of Christ that you have those things. But the best evangelism is to not hide those within your heart. 
right? To, to never speak of the faithfulness of salvation? It's the great, I, you guys come in and talk to me when you get a, a, a new aspect of your job or you get a new job, and that is all awesome, right? I have boys that, you know, dad, look, I have underarm hair. Like, that's great. It's a wonderful thing for them. But the greatest story you're living out is the story of Christ and his faithfulness to you. You don't talk about the faithfulness you have to Christ all the time because we don't. We, we're not going to lead with sin unless you're going to talk about salvation. Oh, I've been there. And maybe I'm currently there. And oh, man, I'm just a sinner. Have a great day. That's not the end of your story. That's not the end of your testimony. That's the one of the two-one punch, right? That is the evangelism. I was a sinner. You saved me from who I was. Lisa, that's what Jesus does. Exactly. Jesus gives you this story and says, all you got to do in thought, word, and deed is live my story out in you. And I'm going to look at each and every one of you that believe, oh, I don't have a testimony. I wasn't redeemed by anything. I didn't have a near-death experience, right? I didn't fall into the world of sex, drugs, or rock and roll. I, and God delivered me from that. I, my, my testimony is so boring, right? That's my wife. For years she believed that. And she had a pastor one day look at her and go, or the steadfast of God has been first and foremost in your life through anything that came and it just bounced off that's an amazing testimony because you could be like me ups downs ups downs right emotionally spiritually emo through most of the 90s and the early 2000s right denominational mutt who prayed a prayer but didn't think i did it right my wife always she goes i've always known god is lord and savior yeah one year what she confessed it at one point but for her it was like She's walking and doing this like, I just took the next step. What? That's amazing. Now a lot of you are like, that's why they're married. That makes a lot more sense. She is his center and his foundation. Yes, she is. But what about you? Your story, are you hiding it in your heart? And maybe you're hiding it because you're embarrassed. Maybe you're hiding it because, oh, I'm in a... I'm in a world of non-believers, and I don't know how they're going to they're take that. Try. That's evangelism. Maybe, because we're in the culture we're in, in, in Ileana, maybe you're in a world where you work with a bunch of Pharisees, and they live by the law, and everything is law-based, and there is no grace whatsoever. Maybe you need to be the one that teaches them grace. That's hard. Don't get me wrong. That's not going to be easy. But if that's your story, how dare you not tell your story then? Because someone may, in fact, just need to hear it. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation, from the world. I hope in my prayers that's not us. But the next two weeks is going to talk very specifically on what that looks like. Let's pray. Father, this is what you do.